0: Well, good morning, everyone. Glad you're here. And uh, it's an exciting day when we get to baptize someone. We get to watch a film tonight that uh, we get to celebrate that millions, billions have watched. And uh, this morning, uh, the reason, part of the reason we're doing the, the uh, Jesus film tonight is if, if you've been here, if this is your first time, you wouldn't know. But if you've been here, we've been working through the book of Luke. So we'll be in chapters uh, 13 and 14. And so if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 13 and 14. We also have it on our live page. We have a live page you can go to that's our Sunday bulletin. um, And you can go look there and have those scriptures. The scriptures will be on the screen as well. Um, But we've been talking that this book of Luke that was written by Luke, who was a physician. It's a very detailed gospel. It's probably the most detailed of all the gospels. Uh, Each one of the books or gospels, as it's called, the story about Jesus, has a different approach. Matthew's gospel or his story that Jesus asked Matthew to tell was supposed to be really reflective to the Jews and the Old Testament prophecies. Um, When you look at John's gospel, the apostle John wrote a gospel, and it really was to prove that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was the son of God who came. When you read Mark's gospel, Mark's gospel was written to a Gentile believers. It was written to kind of the Roman believers, and and his gospel is kind of simplified, and, and it's written to a particular audience, and the stories that are shared draws them in. And then when we look at Luke's gospel, Luke's gospel is kind of this very detailed account. Luke Luke is just kind of precision going through, and what he's talking about in his gospel is this idea of the Son of Man. It's an Old Testament idea of the Messiah that's going to come. The book of Daniel says that the Son of Man would come to save his people. The Old Testament pointed that there would be a Messiah someday. Genesis chapter 3 said there would be a seed, there would be a Savior from man that would come, but it would also be from God. And that's why Jesus had a earthly mother and a heavenly father, so that he was the God-man. And so he is the son of man. In the book of Luke, Luke says what his purpose is in 1910. He says, the son of man has come. This is what Jesus said. The son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. And so Luke is writing to people, and he's saying, look, you may feel lost. You may feel like there's no hope. You may feel like God doesn't care about you, and he does. And he sent his son, he left paradise, he left his kingdom to come to this messed up kingdom, not to overthrow it yet, but to love us in it and show us how to love others in it until his kingdom comes. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. What is the kingdom of God like? What is the kingdom of God like? Because if you don't get this right, you will be led away to all kinds of false teachings. You will will be led away to places that you may come to the end of your life and where Jesus says in the gospel on numerous occasions, I don't know you. You did all these things in my name, but I I don't know you. You see, because the kingdom that we live for is really important. The things that we value, the, the beliefs that we have about the life that we have and the life that Jesus has given us and cleansed us, baptized us with his Holy Spirit as a result of trusting in him, that belief leads to what kingdom we build here. And all the time, mankind is trying to build their kingdom. We are in a war in our country over kingdom building. We got two parties that have a totally different view of what the kingdom of the United States should look like. It is drastically different. I don't know that either of them is right either. Because it's not what scripture says. Is one worse than the other? Well, you can make that case. But in the end, guess what? We're not going to have a democracy in heaven. We get no vote. We're not going to have a republic in heaven. We're not going to elect anyone. God is going to appoint who he wants, and we're going to cheer them on, and we're going to say thank you, we love you, we submit to you, tell us what to do, because it's awesome. It's a benevolent monarchy when we get to God's kingdom. And here we're trying to make the best of a terrible situation. And human history is proof of that. Doesn't matter what the government is, we're just trying to make the best of a terrible situation until God brings his king and his kingdom back. And what we find is that in chapter 13 and 14, if you remember, Jesus has made the decision. He's been doing his ministry for a while now. Now he's making the decision to travel to Jerusalem and everybody thinks he's going to Jerusalem To start his kingdom. Because they know what the Old Testament says. The Old Testament says the Messiah, the one that's sent to save his people, save the Jewish people, is going to go to Jerusalem, establish his kingdom. He's going to go into Jerusalem as a king. They're going to put him on the throne and he's going to wipe everybody out. And then all the Jews are going to get to rule everybody else with their king. That's what they believe. And Jesus has told them, I'm going to Jerusalem. And they're all going, all right. This is... It's it, and I'm, I'm, I'm following him. I'm one of the 12. That means I'm going to get a seat. I'm going to get a special place because I'm so good and awesome. And Jesus is doing these series of teachings that we've been reading about, we're going to continue to read about, that are blowing up that mentality. It is turning it upside down, and they don't know what to do with it. It is challenging everything they've ever been taught about their life and about the kingdom that they've built in their heart and the kingdoms around them, and they literally don't know what to do. Because at one time, this group's celebrating him, and then they're like, oh, wow, he gives them a hard teaching, like, we don't like you anymore. And then another group goes, wow, we like that hard teaching you gave them, and then he gives them a hard teaching, and they go, oh, we don't like you anymore. And literally, when Jesus gets to Jerusalem, and he's on trial, we know what happens. Nobody likes him anymore. He's got three people at the foot of his cross, three One doesn't count because it's his mother. (laughs) Your mom will be anywhere for you, even if you're the stupidest human being ever. She doesn't count, okay? She does. But I'm just saying the other two are John and Mary, the other Mary. That's it. Everyone else has said, this is too hard. This can't be the way the kingdom's gonna be built. This can't be how it's gonna go down. This can't be how our lives are gonna end up. And if you remember and read the book of Acts and read church history, all, all of the apostles died horrendous, awful deaths. They did not get a great kingdom on this earth. They were slaughtered, murdered, severed in two with swords, It was awful. Peter was supposedly crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified in the same position as his savior. And yet we have today preachers, teachers, and people running around telling us, God wants you to have your kingdom. God's for you and he wants the kingdom you want. And he loves you so much he just wants you to have it all and, and he wants us to be the people that, that get it all and then we just, we just tell other people they can get it all. And then you read the Bible and you go, that, that's not the history of the church. It's, it's not the history of God's people in the world today. Christians around the world today are being slaughtered because they live in kingdoms where they don't have freedom like we do. And they're standing up and saying, I'm not fighting for freedom. I'm not fighting that we should have a democracy. I'm not fighting that we should be the United States. I'm just fighting that you'll let me tell people about my Jesus. And those governments and kingdoms are saying no and they're slaughtering them. As we speak, as we sit here today, there are Christians dying. They're watching their children and their family members be killed in front of them because they won't say they don't believe. That means they're thinking about a different kingdom than most of us think about. And that's exactly where Jesus is at when you dive into these scriptures. Jesus tells them in 13.5, look, I tell you, unless you repent, you're all going to perish. He's talking to Jews who thought they had repented. These are Jewish people who would celebrated the festivals. They did all the good things. They brought their tithes to the temple. And he said, I don't care how much you've done. If you've not repented, if you've not in your mind and in your heart decided, I am no longer going to chase my kingdoms. I'm going to chase his. You're going to perish for eternity. That's a hard message, folks. That's a message that's hard in our culture for all these people, us included, that say, Well, I'm a Christian. Really? Because the lives of Christians, as Jesus puts it, we're gonna look, is tough. It says, As he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, that's what we're doing here. We're still practicing what they did thousands of years ago. You're coming not to the temple, this is not the temple. Right? They weren't in the temple. There was a temple. They're going to a, a sub-temple. They're going to a place where they gather, and they're having teaching. So Jesus knows where people are, so he goes to where the people are to teach them. They come together. They're taught. That's what Jesus is doing. He's just going and teaching in the synagogues, these little outposts. Right? Listen. We don't have a main temple. The main temple's in heaven, Jesus says. He's going to bring it back someday. And so we have little outposts. Those outposts can meet in community centers. They can have their own buildings. They can meet in homes. But we have places where we gather together for teaching. Now let me ask you this. Why do you need to be taught? I need to be taught and I need to teach because I need my kingdom challenged. I need my heart challenged Over and over and over again, every day, every week, I need to be challenged to not think that this is about me. And I need to gather with other believers that are hurting, some that are celebrating, to remember that this life isn't all there is. And when I'm out on my own and I'm just doing my own thing and I pull away, I can get blinded by what's really going on in people's lives. Jesus says a woman was there who had been disabled by a spirit for over 18 years. So her disability was because of an evil spirit. Listen, not every disability is because of an evil spirit. At one point, Jesus heals a guy, and they ask him, why, is, why, why was he born blind? And Jesus says, so that the glory of God could be shown by how I'm going to heal him right now. <laughs> and he heals him. It doesn't say it was a demon. It doesn't say anybody sinned. It, nothing. It's just like, because we're living in a broken world, and he was born blind, but I'm here, and then I'm going to show how awesome I am. That's why. And see, that's what the kingdom's about. It's not about getting something or trying to figure out why things are a mess. It's about saying, I know there's a kingdom coming, so I trust that, regardless of the situation I'm in. And that's exactly this woman. He says, no, she's, she was bent over and could not straighten up at all. You ever been there? You ever hurt yourself in some way? I know for those of you who are young, you don't even understand this. Like, No, of course not. For those of us who are old, we're like, yeah, every day I get out of bed, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I can straighten up, you know. And then we get straightened up, we're like, praise Jesus. It's a miracle, right? That's the way I feel sometimes climbing out of bed. And it says, when Jesus saw her, he called out to her. This woman was not looking for a healing. We don't have any evidence that she had any faith, right? She wasn't like had so much faith that Jesus healed her. She's just present wanting to be taught. She's just coming to worship her God and be taught how great her God is, minding her own business. And Jesus says, hey, you, with the spirit, come here. She may not even have known she had a spirit. (laughs) She comes and it says, woman, you are free of your disability. He doesn't free her from death. She's going to die someday. She's going to die of something someday. She'll probably get sick again. We're not, nobody gets out alive. I don't know if you know this. And something's going to get you. I don't know what it is. But he, he says, look, you're free of your disability. This temporary problem you have, I'm going to use it to show how great I am, that I am the Son of Man and the Son of God. Then he said, laid his hands on her, and instantly she was restored and began to glorify God. We have no evidence that she placed her faith in Jesus at all. She was placing her faith that Sunday or Saturday, because it would have been synagogue, when she came to church. Her faith was just to show up and be with believers and be taught. And in the midst of doing that, year after year after 18 years, one day God showed up and did this. That's incredible, folks. And it says as soon as she was restored, she started glorifying God. Can you imagine? She's just like, I can... I mean, she just is glorifying God. And I picture it not like most people picture it. Because the false teachers of our day always picture it as this out of control thing. Most of the time, when you see people giving glory to God in Scripture, how do they do it? On their face, laid out. Not standing in His presence, on their face in His presence, overwhelmed by His goodness and His grace and his awe, and they are just laid out, giving glory to God for how awesome he is. And that is the posture that we stand, and that's when Jesus says, get up, it's okay, I love you. John, the disciple that was at the foot of the cross, when he meets Jesus in the book of Revelation, he falls as a dead man, it says, and he doesn't move until Jesus says, John, it's me, I love you, you can get up, I wanna show you something. See, that's the proper response to a real and holy, loving, caring God. He goes on and he says this, But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus healed on the Sabbath, responded by telling the crowd, There are six days when work should be done. Therefore, come on those days and be healed, not the Sabbath day. (laughs) This woman is showing up, not thinking she's, Did she come to get healed that day? Maybe. It doesn't say that. She might have heard about Jesus and thought maybe he could. She's not like throwing herself at Jesus to be healed. She's just there. She didn't ask for this accusation. They're accusing her. You came here. You interrupted service. You did. You. Now they know not to accuse Jesus. Why? Because when you read what's happened in previous chapters when they accuse Jesus, it doesn't go well for them. They get embarrassed every time. So now they, they change their tactic. We won't accuse Jesus and embarrass Jesus. We'll accuse the followers, the people out here, which is what's going to happen to you. Then typically, I don't find out about things as the pastor. Gossip goes on behind the scenes way before we find out about it. Everybody's talking behind the scenes before it ever gets to us. And this is what's happening. And their true heart comes out that they don't believe Jesus is who he says he is and they don't think he has the authority on the Sabbath to do good. These guys, when people would come to the Sabbath, they had an excuse. When people come to church, I don't have to heal them. Today's my day off, just like all you. What's not your day off? You're a priest. The priests were to serve the people. Goes on, it says, but the Lord answered him and said, hypocrites, hypocrites. Now we're all Hypocrites right? We are. All of us are. And that's what Jesus is getting at. He looks, he says, doesn't each one of you untie his ox or his donkey from the feeding trough on the Sabbath and lead it to water? Do you just not feed your animals and let them die? Like, good luck. No. You'll take care of animals better than you'll take care of people. Can I just tell you, we live in a culture that's there. If you look at the billions we spend on pet care in America and the people that are dying in our own neighborhoods and all around the world, we should pause for a moment. It's not wrong to have pets. It's not wrong to care for pets. Jesus didn't say you shouldn't have an ox or a donkey. It's just what's your heart? Where's your heart at? Because listen, people are hard. Pets are a lot easier. People are difficult. And he looks and he says, Satan has bound this woman, a daughter of Abraham, for 18 years. Shouldn't she be untied from this bondage on the Sabbath? When he said these things, all his adversaries were humiliated. But the whole crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things he was doing. Listen, it's not good to humiliate your adversaries. You know what happens when you humiliate your adversaries and then you don't kill them? Like you humiliate them, but then you let them live? They come back on you. They come get you. They go get a crowd. They go get others. And then they come back stronger to fight you. Jesus knew that. And he knew it wasn't his time to fight. It wasn't his time to bring his kingdom to earth and overthrow all earthly nations. This was his moment to do something very different. And that was to die on behalf of others and ask us as believers to do the same until he comes back. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? What is the kingdom of God like? Listen, you have expectations. Most of the time, the reason we get angry, frustrated, whatever, depressed, anxious, is because our kingdoms aren't working out how we plan. Our expectations aren't being met, and then we get frustrated. Because we have certain expectations we believe we deserve, and that we've decided are the line, and when someone crosses that line, we get fired up. And so Jesus knows what's going on, and he looks, and he's like, What should I compare the kingdom of God like then? What should I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the sky nested in its branches. Again he said, what can I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed in 50 pounds of flour. Until it spread through the entire mixture. Now. This passage is what false preachers use. This is one of their favorite passages to use to say, see, just a little bit of kingdom can give you all your wants and desires. A little bit of kingdom can just overthrow everything and make everything better. That's partially true if that's what God wants. But if we read the Old Testament, there were times when God didn't want his kingdom and his nation to do well. He actually put them under discipline. They were slaughtered because they wouldn't listen. He let him be slaughtered and took his hands off. It wasn't like he did this. All God has to do to make it bad for you and me, listen folks, I say it all the time, all God has to do is do this and we'll make a mess and we will destroy everything around us. He doesn't have to send lightning bolts. He just has to take his hands off, his presence off and let us just have our desires and then war against each other. That's all he has to do and that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. He said, look, A mustard seed is planted, and what happens is that the benefit isn't for the mustard plant. The benefit's for everybody else. Listen, if you plant your mustard seed and you grow up, you know what's going to happen? Birds are going to come and land on you and poop all over your branches. That's what he's saying. They're going to come, they're going to land on you, they're going to poop, they're going to eat all your seeds... They're going to eat the seeds, they're going to spread the seeds, but you're just, you're just, they're going to break your branches off because some big heavy bird's going to come sit. It's going to snap off. You're going to be like, that's not cool. Like, that's what's going to happen. You, you're going to grow up and be useful for the kingdom. Not you're going to get. You're going to give, and then you're going to die because mustard seed plants, they die, and then they reseed, and then you're going to produce more seeds, and the birds are going to carry those seeds. Isn't that awesome? No, I don't want to die as a plant. I want to be a mustard seed forever, a gold mustard seed. I want to be a gold mustard plant that no one can touch, and that I'm on display, and then I have a mustard plant house I live in and a mustard plant mansion, and, and then all the world comes to see me, the mustard plant. Like, that's that's what we... He goes on and he, look at this. He says, again, he said, what can I compare it? Like yeast. Listen, when yeast gets in something, it it leavens the whole dough. But if it's 50 pounds, that's going to take a while. That means that woman's got to keep missing a long time. That's a lot of work to mix 50 pounds of flour. Think about it. You know what a one-pound bag of flour looks like, right? 50 of those with just a tiny bit of yeast. And then God says, keep mixing, keep mixing. Not enough, keep mixing like I'm so tired. This is crazy. My kitchen aid can't even keep up with this thing, right? Why? Because you're producing bread for others. If you're mixing 50 pounds of flour, it ain't for you. It's to bake to give away to the world and Jesus called himself the bread of life. He goes on and he says this. He went through one town and village after another teaching and making his way to Jerusalem. Remember, he's going to Jerusalem. Everybody thinks he's going to be a king. Lord, someone asked him Are there few being saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because I tell you, many will try to enter and will not be able. Once the homeowner gets up and shuts the door, then you will stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, open up for us. He will answer you, I don't know you, or where you're from. Then you will say, well, we ate and drank in your presence and taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I don't know you, or where you're from, Get away from me, all you workers of unrighteousness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in that place when you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you yourselves are thrown out. They will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. Note this, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. See, that's our heart, right? The Jews expected they were going to be first. And Jesus looks at them and says, no, you guys are going to reject me. And when you read the book of Revelation, it says there's going to be a revival among the Jewish people before Christ comes back, which means they're going to be last. It's a beautiful picture. Jesus is looking at them and he's saying, look, all you do is you try to do the right thing, but for what reason? You don't want to be right with my father or with me. You just want to be right to others so that you can build your kingdom. I am telling you that when Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the prophets you killed come, they're going to look at you and go, you don't know what you're doing. He looks and he says, they're going to come from the east and the west. In other words, this would have been very offensive to the Jews. Wait, so you're telling me that we've been first. It was given to Abraham, Isaac, and then we're not going to get it first? Susan was teaching in the class upstairs, my wife teaching the kids, which she's doing right now, a few weeks ago and they were doing the parable of um, the the laborers in the vineyard and the first guy came and he worked all day and he got a certain pay and then they go through each day, each hour another guy comes and then the last guy comes and works an hour and he gets the same pay as the first guy. When when they go before God or go before the, the, the vineyard, the laborers get all the same pay. This is not, it is not a passage about socialism, let me just tell you. That's that's not what this passage is. And so Jesus, or so then Susan is trying to get the kids to see what Jesus was teaching them. So she gives them 10 beans each. She brings these beans. She gives them 10 beans each in this class because she's trying to teach them. And then she had each of them do different things, like, like you get to pick up. You get to pick up all the the stuff, and so certain kids got to play while they were doing things, and other kids had to pick up, and then some kids didn't even have to pick up, and then at the end she called them all together and she passed out their tin beans, and she's like, oh, they're gonna they're gonna get this lesson. That's this is gonna teach them. This is gonna be good. She gave them other beans, and they sat and they looked at their cup, they looked at the other person's cup. She goes, now, how do you feel about that? Susie got a cup of beans and you she didn't do any of the work, and they were like we feel great. We all got 10 beans. (laughs) And Susan's like, crud. How do I, what do I do now? Like, how do I, how do I, how do I teach them to be selfish? (laughs) Wait a minute. She looked at Joanna and she said, I think this lesson may be for me and you. (laughs) I think the kids get it. We don't. Now, does our kids eventually corrupted. Oh, they're born corrupted. Don't get me wrong. But at this moment, it was a great moment for these kids. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. These kids were just excited about what was given to them by their teacher. They didn't care about what the other person, oh, you got to, that's great. Not what they deserve, not what they should have. Not that, well, they got their beans first and I was the last one. And I worked all day. It was a beautiful picture of what Jesus is trying to teach here. And that's our heart, not what we can get, but how excited we are for others that God is a giver. And if he chooses to heal me, great. But if he chooses to heal them, I'm going to celebrate that and celebrate that I still get to show how great God is in my suffering. He goes on, he says this. At the time, some Pharisees came and told him, Get out of here. Herod wants to kill you. We don't know if this was true or not. Probably not when you read the rest of the Gospels. Herod didn't necessarily want to kill Jesus. He was interested in what Jesus was doing. He wanted to meet him. But they're trying to lie, spread a rumor, so they can get Jesus out of town most likely. Now, if Herod did want to kill him, do you really think the Pharisees who wanted to kill Jesus, as we read earlier a few chapters ago, really care that Herod wants to kill Jesus? Are they really coming in love and compassion? Oh, Jesus, we're so concerned for you. You need to run from Herod because he's a bad man. No, they were in cahoots with Herod. Herod built their temple. So this is, this is not a good heart. And it says, he said to them, go tell that fox. <laughs> you go tell that fox. We're not calling him a fox. You could call him. <laughs> Look, I'm driving out demons and performing healings today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will complete my work. This is kind of a, I love this. Today and tomorrow, it's kind of a play on words. I'm going to do what needs to be done, and on the third day, I'm going to die and I'm going to raise again. i I got to do my work. Nobody tells me how to do my work. You don't, Herod doesn't. Then he goes on, he says, yet I must travel today, tomorrow, and the next day, because it's not possible for a prophet to perish outside of Jerusalem. In other words, he says, I'm going to be traveling. Let Herod know he's a fox. I'm not moving on because of him, and I'm not moving on because of you. I'm moving on because i got to get to Jerusalem to die. You're following Jesus. You're one of his disciples. And he goes, Hey, I got to get to Jerusalem because I got to perish. Why are we following you? I I don't understand. Did he really mean that? I don't. He says, No, I don't need to perish outside. Well, you're not going to perish. You're the the Messiah. You're the king. You're going to overthrow everybody. You're not going to perish. No, I'm going to perish. That's why I'm going to Jerusalem because that's where they kill everybody. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I love this. Jesus in this moment, when he thinks about going to Jerusalem, he thinks about dying. He thinks about the fact he's going to be rejected by his own family. He's going to have his back turned on. When he's overwhelmed at that moment, Herod wants to kill him. The Pharisees want to kill him. Everybody's out to get him. Look at this. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he cries out. She who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. Can I just tell you, that is our heart. How dare you tell me? Who do you think you are? We stand up so quickly to fight against counsel, to fight against God's word. And Jesus is like, that's exactly what you do. How often, and look at this, how often I wanted to gather your children together. As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. You're not willing. You already have your kingdom and where you're going to be. And I'm trying to gather you together. See, your house is abandoned to you. Your house is going to be abandoned. The temple is going to be destroyed. In 70 AD it gets destroyed. And he says, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, he who comes in the name of the Lord is the blessed one. Now, he says this. Now, all the disciples are thinking, oh, Because this is a reference to Solomon. King Solomon in the Old Testament is going to come into Jerusalem. And the king that comes from Solomon is going to come into Jerusalem. And this is a prophetic message that this is what's going to be said. And if you've ever been a part of the church, you know about Palm Sunday. And on Palm Sunday, they waved the palm branches. Right? And that was them saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. At that moment, the disciples, everybody would have thought back to this passage and thought, This is it. He's coming. And then what unfolds, they couldn't believe, which is why they abandoned him. He goes on and he says, On one Sabbath, when he went into eat the house of the one leading Pharisee, they were watching him closely. See, they're trying to trap him. They wanted him to mess up. See, that's what always happens when someone stands against our kingdom. We start looking for ways to pick them apart so we don't have to actually evaluate our own hearts. That's what we do. He goes on and he says, there in front of them was a man whose body was swollen with fluid. In response, Jesus asked the law experts and the Pharisees, uh, guys, Hey, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? He knows the answer is they're going to say no. But they kept silent. <laughs> they had just said it's unlawful, remember? You should come another day than on the Sabbath day. And then he says, but they kept silent. He took the man, healed him, and sent him away. Again, we have no reference that this man had any faith. It doesn't say he put his faith in Jesus. It doesn't even say the guy glorified God. They said he literally healed him and he went away. See, God does what God wants to do. It's not about trying to get a response. He just does what he does to prove the points he needs to prove to call us under his wings. then he goes and he said to them, which of you whose son or ox falls into a well will not immediately put him out on the Sabbath day? Pull him out on the Sabbath day. To this they could find no answer. He's like, you guys are not looking to give and to serve. You're looking for excuses of why you don't have to. Why it's okay for you to have your kingdom and your life the way you want, not let God challenge it, and maybe call you to give a little bit more than you're comfortable to. Goes on and he says, he told them a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they would choose the best places for themselves. So he looks around, he noticed that those were invited to the Pharisees, they tried to get the best spot, right? Isn't that what we do? How many of you purposely park furthest as you can when you get to Walmart, right? Right? Like, pull in, you're like, there's a spot? Boom, I'm here. I'm walking. This will be good for me. I'll burn some calories because I need it. That's right. I don't have fluid. I got other problems, right? You're, you're walking into Walmart happy because you get to burn. No, we drive around for five minutes. It's like we circle like vultures. Like, and then we turn in, and we're like, then we brag about it. I got a close parking spot today. Boy, I got to ride in there. That's what we do. He goes, when you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, don't recline at the best place because a more distinguished person than you may have been invited as your host. Don't park in handicap unless you're handicapped. Don't even park there for a second. Don't do it. And he goes on and he says, the one who invited both of you may come and say to you, give your place to this man, and then in humiliation you will proceed to, be, to take the lowest place. You'll watch your car be towed away. <laughs> now you're in the lowest place. You don't even have a car. Because <laughs> you parked where you shouldn't have. He goes on and he says, but when you're invited, go and recline in the lowest place. So that when the one invited who invited you comes, he will say, friend, move up higher. You will then be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. He's like, what's your heart it's not wrong to take a closed parking space but what's your heart behind it do you really need it or is it just oh, i'll do it because i can't or do you take the far parking space and say oh because i need to walk but in reality you, you own a new car you don't want to be in a closed parking space you're going to actually pull into like four at an angle so no one can hit your car right like you're going to make sure that as you walk in you pick up carts look good Right, and You're like, I just don't want blowing blow it into my car. You're picking up carts all over. And people are like, man, that person is so wonderful. No, I just don't want to blow it into my vehicle. It's new. Right? See, that's what this is about. Jesus is saying, you Pharisees, you, you religious people, where's the heart to want to serve, to be that mustard plant, to be the, where's that heart? It's not wrong to have things. It's not wrong to, to, to say thank you to God for the things he gives you, but you're just a conduit. They're not yours to keep. They're just yours to use for his glory, to serve. He also said to the one who had invited him, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, or your relatives, or your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. We love to, we love to plant churches in the suburbs. Let me repeat that. We love to plant churches in the suburbs. And we love to make sure we never have to drive in the bad part of town. That convicts me just as much as it convicts you. It's not wrong to be wise. Don't drive in the bad part of town at 2 a.m. with your windows down, pumping music, waving at people. Probably not a good idea, okay? There's wisdom. But he says, most of us, we go invite people that are easy. We build relationships with people that are easy. We invite people to the Jesus film who are Christians. We don't go out and invite people that, that are lost and broken, Why? Because it's easy. He says, on the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind. That's going to cost me. They don't bring two leaders. He goes on and he says, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. In other words, you'll be repaid when my kingdom really comes. That's at the very end when all humanity's resurrected. That's a long time to wait. I kind of need some stuff now. I need some kingdom goodies now. Can I call down some kingdom goodies for myself before the resurrection? Because that means I died, and I want them before I die. Because if I don't get them before I die, then I don't enjoy them, right? No, you're resurrected. You get a new body. You're gonna enjoy them forever. Just wait. Be patient. I can't be patient. Gotta have my marshmallow now. Goes on. He says this. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God is blessed. Trying to really, you know, oh, yeah, the kingdom of God's coming. We're going to eat bread in the kingdom. He's going to be happy. Then he told him, a man was giving a large banquet, invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his slave to tell those who were invited, come, because everything's ready. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. Jesus says, see, here's the problem with my kingdom. I'm going to be honest about what my kingdom's like. I'm going to be honest and challenge you on how you should live for my kingdom, and you're going to make excuses because that's what we do. We find excuses of why I don't need to live for the banquet that's coming. I can try to get my banquet now. And he says, the first one said to him, I bought a field. I must go and see it. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. And another said, I just got married and therefore I'm unable to come. I got to spend time with my honey. None of these are bad or evil things. It's not wrong to go check out land. It's not wrong to have oxen. It's not wrong to have a wife. But when they are over, the commitment to the banquet given by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in your life and heaven itself, you've got a problem. And it goes on, it says, So the slave came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his slave, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, maimed, blind, and lame. Remember, the Pharisees have been kicking the blind and lame and poor out of their churches. When they came to the synagogue, they didn't want them there. You need to come another day of the week. This is our worship time. This is a holy place. We don't want any mess here. Master, the slave said, What you ordered has been done, and there's still room. You know what that means? People don't want to come. Have you ever put on an event, worked hard, to have it ready to go for no one to show up? Happens to me all the time. Happens all the time. It happens to pastors, people all the time who are trying to do God's will. When Jesus did the most ultimate act that the Bible prophesied would be the greatest act of all time, and he sacrificed himself as the ultimate sacrifice for us, there were three people. Everyone had been invited. Everyone had been invited. Pilate, Herod, everyone invited, and only three showed up. Because only three saw themselves as lame, broken, and blind. Everybody else said, eh, that's a little hard. I got it. I got some stuff to do. Goes on and he says, then the master told the slave, go out to the highways and lanes and make them come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will enjoy my banquet. Whew. That is harsh. That's harsh. That's harsh. See, when Jesus invites you to, to know him as Savior and Lord, we talked about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit a couple of weeks ago. See, when we reject Christ and it's the final rejection, that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's when it's like you're done and you know you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit because you don't try to get to know God anymore. You completely separate yourself, you don't want to hear any of it, or you try to attack it. He goes on and he says, Now great crowds were traveling with Jesus. So he turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. It doesn't say it's going to be hard for him to be my disciple. He says, you cannot be both a disciplined person to me and then discipline yourself first in all these other relationships. You gotta discipline yourself to me first. When you've got that under control, then I will bring the relationships into your life so that you can work together to disciple people. He says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Wait we're going to Jerusalem and you're going to overthrow the Romans and you're going to reign on high. No, I'm not. I've told you that's not what's going to happen. Isn't it interesting that Jesus gives this passage and when he's carrying his cross and he's so beaten that he can't carry it anymore, he's so exhausted that he can't carry his own cross anymore, no one will come out of the crowd and carry it. And the Roman soldier has to order a man to carry Jesus' cross. And to disobey that order would have meant that man could have been killed, so we really didn't have a choice. Jesus says, why won't anyone pick up a cross for anyone else? Why does it take authorities to get us to behave, and we won't look at God's law and thank him for it and try to live by it? Why do we need to pass laws to get people to act rightly when we should just be the people who act rightly, even if it doesn't benefit us in the law? It's exactly what Jesus is laying out. and He's like, look, and here's the beauty of it. When you pick up your cross, it means you're trusting God for resurrection, which is what he just said. And that's a beautiful picture of the whole Bible. God, I believe you can raise my son Isaac, so I'm willing to sacrifice him. And God says, no, that's good. I've got my son I'm going to sacrifice. You pull the knife back. It's good. See, that's the beauty. Then he says, "For which of you, wanting to build a tower, does it first down and, first, sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it?" Otherwise, after he's laid the foundation and cannot finish, all the onlookers will begin to make fun of him, saying, "This man started to build and wasn't able to finish." Can I just tell you, accepting Jesus, surrendering to Jesus shouldn't be this simple Oh, no big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. There should be something in you that understands that what you're doing is giving your life to him. And there's joy in that. Not, I just got to give my life to him. He's so hard to follow. Such a tough guy. If that's your heart, you probably don't know Jesus. And he looks and he says, think about what you're doing. Or what king going to war against another king, remember, they're expecting him to go to war, will not first sit down and decide if he's able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000. If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and he asks for terms of peace. A wise king's going to go, I can't win this thing. I just need to make a peace treaty. He goes on and he says, in the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not say goodbye to all his possessions cannot be my disciple. What are you trying to keep? What's off limits to God? He looks and he says, see, here's what's going to happen. The king is going to come into Jerusalem, Jesus. They're thinking he's going to overthrow the Romans. And you know what Jesus does? He offers humanity the terms of peace. He dies on their behalf. And he says, if you'll embrace me, I'll forgive you and you will have the peace of my father and the peace of forever with me in heaven. I could come with 20,000. I could come with millions of angels and annihilate you. But I'm a good king. And I know that my master has sent me, the father has sent me, and I'm bringing terms of peace for you before I come back with a real army. Now what will your response be? And that's why he goes on and he says, Now salt... Is good, but if the salt should lose its taste, how will it be made salty? Isn't it fit for the soil, for the manure pile? Then throw it out. They throw it out. Anyone who has ears to hear should listen. Remember where we started today. Verse 13, they had come to the synagogue to listen, to be taught. Jesus has been teaching in the synagogues, traveling, and he comes to the place and he asks a simple question. Will you listen? Will you listen? There's a lot of people out there who don't want to listen. They don't want to hear God's word. They don't want to be challenged in their possessions. They don't want to be challenged in their relationships with children, with wives, with friends, with neighbors, with family members. I don't want to challenge those relationships. I just want to keep a false peace. I don't want to call them to the peace of Jesus. I'm just going to call them to this kind of fake peace. That's what the Pharisees wanted. Quit teaching these hard things. You can, you can go have your disciples and do your thing. Just don't bother us. And Jesus is like, that's not who I am. I care so much about you. I am trying to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks. But you guys are running to the coyotes. I'm calling out to you and you're like, and just getting eaten alive. And I'm running around and he won't listen. And he says, if you have ears to hear, don't just hear this. Listen from the heart and surrender. Let me ask you this morning. What's the kingdom of God like to you? Many of you are towards the end of your life. Some of us, maybe, I don't know. You could be 18 and be towards the end of your life. You just don't know it. God's going to do something that none of us know. But in terms of age, some of you are more aged than others. Some of you are more younger than others, right? The question isn't, how old I am, or what have I, the question is, will you listen? Will you come to Jesus and say, I want to be your disciple, if I have breath tomorrow, I want it to be for you. I'll surrender. I've fought this battle long enough, I'm ready to surrender and say, God, it's all yours, my life, everything, it's yours. I leverage everything for your kingdom to be built, I'm no longer gonna build mine, I'm not gonna have all these false expectations of how it should be, what I should get, I'm done. I just want you, and I want you to show me by being taught in the church and other believers and small group and Bible study, having a quiet time. I want you to teach me who you are so that I can better be that person who offers its branches to the world. And I'm nobody. I'm just a tiny little seed that means nothing. But I believe you can make something out of a tiny nothing. See, that's what God says, and it's a beautiful picture of what Jesus was. Jesus was nothing. He was born in Nazareth. He was born almost illegitimately to the Jews. He he was in the middle of the worst place in the Roman Empire to be born in the bad part of town, in the bad part of the... uh, And yet God put him on full display to change the world. He can do that in your life. But will you surrender